Welcome to Transformation for Success with Dr. Barbara Young. If you're looking for something more, something different, something better, this is your opportunity. Over the next hour, we'll talk about inspiration for personal and professional success. Now, here is your host, Dr. Barbara Young. Well, hello there. And I want to give a big shout out to some of my international fans who are always tuning into the show. China, Russia, Turkey, Canada, Sweden, all Germany, Greece, France, Morocco. You guys, I really want to thank you for listening. There are so many of you, but I just wanted to give a shout out to some of those countries. Listen, if you enjoy the show each week, give me a holler via my email, info at transformationforsuccess.com. Or you can Skype me at Young. With your comments, your suggestions, and feedback, because I so enjoy hearing from all of you. You know, today I am so excited. Today on the show, we are chatting with Blaine Bartlett, who is an internationally respected and sought-after executive coach. He is, I tell you, just an amazing individual management consultant. I just cannot go on and on, but let me tell you just a little bit more, because Blaine is CEO and president of Avatar Resources, which is a global leadership development and consulting firm that he founded in 1987. Now, he's coached and consulted worldwide with executives, companies, and governments, and he's personally delivered training programs to more than a quarter of a million individuals and has directly impacted more than one million people worldwide. And I can tell you, he really impacted my life when I met him some years ago. And he's just considered a major innovative voice in leadership development, organizational development, and change management. So I want to go on and on because he's got so many accolades, too numerous to really talk about. And he has a book, and we're going to talk about uh, one of his books. He also, I just want to mention this, is an adjunct professor at Beijing University and managing director of the Global Coaching Alliance, Alliance, and he's a founder of the Institute for Compassionate Capitalism and a longtime member of the Transformational Leadership Council. So, Blaine, hi there, and I'm so happy to have you on the show. (laughs) Oh, Dr. Barbara, thank you, thank you. It is a pleasure to be back on your show. I loved the last time we were together. I know, and I just couldn't wait to have you back because one of the things, uh, you know, as we're approaching and we're, you know, sort of leaving um, January, the first of the year, but still, I wanted people to have, you know, successful tidbits for success personally, professionally, and spiritually as we kick off 2019. And you, I tell you, talked about in your book, Compassionate Capitalism, A Journey to the Soul of Business, and you often also authored uh, something that I was very intrigued about, Discovering Your Inner Strength. And you wrote that in collaboration with Stephen Covey, Ken Blanchard, and Brian Chasey. So I just knew that you would have so many nuggets to share with the listeners today. So listeners, I want you to call your friends and share. And be sure to download this discussion because I know you're going to be inspired with his incredible story and, more important, some of his valuable insights. So get your pens and paper ready to catch these nuggets, but not if you're driving. But anyway, I want you to really capture what we have to say today because he has a very interesting story. So, you know, um, one of the things, uh, Blaine, I do know about you is there were two seminal events that resulted in a significant personal transformation for you and your worldview and life. Would you like to share that with our listeners today? Yeah, I would. Thank you. Um, and, I, and I think that I know exactly which two you're speaking of. Mm-hmm. Um, one was the uh, the death of my wife of 20 years oh, I'm so sorry uh, back in uh, yeah. 2010. Wow. And that yeah, literally did you know, turn everything upside down. It stopped everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was, for me, a very, it was very much an existential uh, experience. You know, what mm-hmm. is the meaning of life? What is this all about? How does mm-hmm. this you know, all come to be? And that all of those questions were were uh, you know floating around in my mind, and mm-hmm. it took me about a year and a half, two years, to actually kind of get my feet under me to really begin to do something with it. And mm-hmm. that wasn't you know, part of the grief process. It was more really of of the 
uh, yeah, the Inquisition into, I say Inquisition, not <laughs> from, from the Spanish <laughs> perspective, but I was inquiring, the inquiring about right. the answers to these questions. And mm-hmm. this set me on a journey uh, mm-hmm. that has uh, been, for the last nine years, uh, fundamentally different, if mm-hmm. not in actual uh, activity, but certainly in where I come from in that activity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it, it's you know, that it was catalytic in informing the work I'm doing today and a couple of the books that I've written since then. Can I ask how long were you married, uh, Blaine? We were married uh, just a little bit short of 20 years. Well, that that's a long time, you know. And and I want to just say this um, personally, uh, thanks to you. Um, because the listeners might not know this story. It's sort of a backstory. But when I met Blaine some years ago, I had just recently uh, lost my husband. I don't want to say lost my husband because it sounds like, you know, he got lost and you find him. But basically, he died and uh, had been in dementia for several years. And I met Blaine and his wife at an event, and we just connected and talked. And I was so moved by his sensitivity because it was my first public sort of appearance with a group of people, and I was so moved to tears because all of a sudden, like you, fundamentally, I'm asking some questions, too, and I'm alone. I had 38 years with this gentleman, so I can relate, Bartlett, I want to personally say thank you because it's always meant so much to me, and even when I was seated at a table that you came over and touched my shoulder and said, how are you doing? I'll never forget that. So thank you so much. I, I remember that too. Yeah, it's all and it's been he's been gone now three years as of October last year. So yep. it takes a while. It takes a while. <laughs> it, take, it, it does. It takes a while. And yeah. you know, there's a, the fact that we have remained connected from that, and the fact that we can mark out those moments because I remember very specifically our conversation, <laughs> and I do remember getting up and walking over and reaching out and touching you. Yes, uh, an old mentor of mine years ago. Uh, a fellow by the name of Will Schutz, Dr. Will Schutz, mm-hmm. uh, said to me that at the end of the day, we connect through our vulnerabilities. We yes. connect through our vulnerabilities. Yes, we do. And are. that has stuck with me. And I modified that, you know, I added a little tagline onto it myself. <laughs> it said we, we, may, we may connect with our vulnerabilities, but we disconnect with our certainties. You know, when it doesn't leave room for something else to come in. And those two coupled together give uh, permission to really explore some, you know, the, the terrain of life in a very different way. How do I be vulnerable? Well, you know, it's interesting because uh, back to the conversation we shared is that there are so many men, I hope they're learning too, to be more vulnerable in explaining their hurt uh, and being more forthright because a lot of women do, men don't share. Is why I'm sure a lot of women don't. But that vulnerability, absolutely right, really draws us together uh, more than I think yeah. we uh, understand. Uh, <laughs> no, yeah, there's yeah, vulnerability is kind of an interesting word. If I could go down a rabbit hole here for just a bit, um, <laughs> go down the rabbit hole. <laughs> <laughs> people seem to be shy. They they, they seem to. They, they, I think people understand the the desirability of being vulnerable on one hand, but they also recognize that, you know, that there is uh, a risk entailed in that. I am exposed. That's the nature of vulnerability is I am exposed. And the egoic self you know, has this need to protect. So when I'm using, you know, particularly in business conversations, mm-hmm. the word I use more often than vulnerability is authenticity. And mm-hmm. when I'm talking about authenticity, I'll go through a couple of different definitions. I'll bring in Kierkegaard and Heidegger and, and, and just you know, colloquial definitions. Mm-hmm. But what I end up moving to is that authenticity is what I'm left with when I stop trying to impress you. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And that's where I'm being vulnerable, when I stop trying to impress you and I just let myself be with you. I love it. That's where I'm being, uh, that's where I'm being authentic. And that's also, I think, where success lies. I, and, you know, and which brings up the question um, that you, you shared how you've lived a life that's truly consistent with how you define sustainable success. And, and I'm captivated with that, how, on how to sustain success in life. Because a lot of people want successful lives, Blaine, but they can't figure it out for themselves. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, you know, Earl Nightingale years ago uh, said that success is nothing more than the progressive realization of a worthy ideal. Uh-huh. And I think that's I mean, that's the experience of it. Is it's that progressive realization of a worthy ideal, which also suggests that I need to have a worthy ideal to progress towards to begin with. <laughs> right. So, <laughs> so that's one piece of it. But the other part is, how do I actually do that? How do I actually make that progress um, sustainable and possible? And the definition that I work with with the clients that I have is that success is at the end of the day about developing the capacity to continuously start over because I am going to continuously be stumbling. I'm continuously going to be encountering obstacles. And sustainable success is having the capacity built within me to be able to continuously start over. And uh, the the way that I look at that in my own life is after, you know, my wife's death, having the capacity to start over you know, allowed me to move and you know, found another an incredible partner uh, in, <laughs> whom you've met, Cynthia uh, Kersey. And that, that ability to start over, not leave things behind, but no. just to start over with what I've had with me. And, and, there's, and, I, and I wrote about this in, the book that, in one of the books that you mentioned, Discover Your Inner Strengths. And that mm-hmm. would be a part of you know, what that whole uh, area of the book that I contributed was about. Well, you know, and it's interesting because I have used that since I met you and talked to uh, many people, and particularly a lot of women, about developing that capacity to start over. Uh, because I, I run into women who look at me and say, at your age, and you're still doing. And I said, but I never stopped starting over. Um, once 50, you know, I said 50 is over. Are you re- are you re-career? I don't like the word retiring because I don't I didn't retire out of life. <laughs> I re-careered. Uh, and so I'll talk to women and some men about the capacity, and I got it from you, uh, to start over. So at every ending, there's a new beginning. So, But it's a mm-hmm. mindset. It is truly a mindset that, that we have to, you know, many people have to get past that barrier. You, you know, some people maybe lose their wives, lose their jobs, or things happen and they just stop. They just stop living. They're just mm-hmm. existing. And I see it, and I'm sure you do too, when you're walking among a crowd of people and you're looking at them, and I actually sometimes have the feeling like I'm among walking zombies because there's no life mm-hmm. in their eyes. There's no life. So anyway, I don't want, want to go on and on about that because I know no, absolutely that though. the, the well, listeners. You know, my, my experience of a lot of people uh, is that they, you know, the, the default is to let our external environment dictate not only what we can do, but to a very significant degree who we are. And the, this notion of developing the capacity to continuously start over suggests that the environment is not in control, um, that I actually mm-hmm. am. You know, this is where mm-hmm. the soul comes into play. This is where consciousness comes into play. Mm-hmm. You know, everything is consciousness. And you know, from that perspective, you know, my internal conversations are manifested externally. So I want to be, be alive inside. You know, one of my very best friends is a gentleman by the name of Bob Proctor. Um, oh, yeah. Bob, I know Bob. Bob is mm-hmm. coming up on, oh, he's wonderful. I love this man. Yes, he he's is. He's coming up on 85 years old uh, this year. <laughs> and he is more dynamic. We're not going to talk about age on this show, all right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, Bob's state of mind. Somebody asked him a long time ago, yeah, how do you stay so young? And he says, I don't hang around old people. <laughs> And, and he was on, Bob. <laughs> speaking not just chronologically, but he was also speaking about state of but mind. But in mindset. I don't hang around people that are old in their mind. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, so one of the things that, that, that I know you talked about and have shared, that, that success in life is all about learning those keys that you talked about, the keys of sustainability. What are the keys of sustainability from your viewpoint? From mine, uh, I think there's actually a couple of them that I would, I mean, there's, I could actually put together a bit of a wander list than I have, but mm-hmm. the ones that I would focus on here um, would be awareness, mm-hmm. just you know, being aware, awareness and increase in awareness increases my choice making capacity. And the more choices I have, the more successful I am likely to be. So I, yeah, I would absolutely begin and put that as the foundational um, 
mm-hmm. awareness in, in developing the awareness. Yeah, just notice what I'm noticing. Notice where my attention is drawn. Notice why my attention moved in that direction. Uh-huh. Uh, because energy will follow attention, not intention. It follows attention. So I want to become aware of where my energy is moving. And then that gives me the capacity to make more deliberate and conscious choices. So that you would be one part of it. And I, I think a second piece has to do with just uh, the idea of being a leader in my life. And, and I talk about that as an idea. The way uh-huh. I define leader, you know, it's a very simplistic definition, but a leader is anybody that causes movement in a system. I mean, this is kind of what I work with in businesses. It's anybody uh-huh. that causes movement to happen in a system. And by definition, your very presence or my very presence in any system, whether it's a family or whether it's an organization or a team, will cause the system to adjust to my presence. So I'm always causing movement. The question here would be, am I causing the kind of movement I need to get the results I say I want? And that's <laughs> well, the yes. activity of leadership. Right. Okay, because your presence so, can be a negative uh, one, and you're not moving anybody because it's a negative presence. Yeah, yeah, you're, you're, they're moving away from you or they're moving in opposition to you, but mm-hmm. it's sourced from your presence. And I mean presence, not just the fact that you're standing there suck, you know, sucking air, uh, but the fact that there's an energy about me. There's an energy about all of us that is invitational or it's exclusionary. It's okay. An, it's an invitation to participate or it's a, it's it's, it's a push away. Right. And I want to know what that is. I want to know how to work with that. So awareness is one piece. Beginning to approach my life from the vantage point of being an effective leader. Am I causing the movement I need to get the results I say I want in my life? That moves me away from blaming the environment or blaming other people for not having what I say I want to have. It's my movement that's causing the results I have in my life. Well, you know what? We're going to take a quick break, Blaine, uh, Blaine, because we're going to come right back because I want to talk to you and sort of segue into moving away from your your adjusting to your presence to when we talk about businesses having a soul and how do we orchestrate that? So, listeners, we're going to be right back because I got a lot more questions to ask Blaine, and I'm sure you're waiting for the answers. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. Moving forward can be difficult to do sometimes. There is always something going on. Many times, nobody else knows exactly what you're going through. If you are experiencing pain or loss, even something that is unexplained that is missing in your life, You'll want to tune in to Go For It with host Joe Hausman. Show and her guests will show you laughter and love. Sometimes you just need something a little positive in your week. Make that spot Tuesday mornings at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Empowerment. Please join Dr. Sarah, a.k.a. Dr. Red, on an amazing journey of love, soul, abundance, compassion, and authenticity. Dr. Red is a well-renowned healer, hypnotherapist, author, and speaker who has overcome personal challenges to emerge stronger than ever before to reach out to you and heal you emotionally, mentally, and spiritually for the most informative and enriching experience filled with unbridled laughter and insights on life, health, culture, and society. Tune in to Dr. Red's. Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Empowerment. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. This is Transformation for Success. To reach Dr. Barbara Young or today's guest, please call into the program at one 888 346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to info at transformationforsuccess.com. Now, back to this week's program. Well, welcome back to my show today, and I'm chatting with Blaine Bartlett, who's an internationally respected and sought-after executive coach, management consultant, 
and leadership and organizational development expert, among all of the other things he does. But his programs and processes are known for their practicality and applicability to the needs and objectives of his clients. And if you've been tuned into the first portion of our show, you've talked about how, where he started from, and his compassionate love. And you can tell that he truly loves people, and he is aware. And I am so delighted to have him on the show. And I want to ask a question, um, Blaine, because I mentioned in the introduction that you're CEO and president of Avatar Resources, which is a global uh, leadership development and consulting firm you founded in 1987. And I do know that you do a lot of work in China, and you're considered uh, a major voice in leadership development. I just want to know, how did you, you know, get interested in this and, and find your journey in this direction? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we've got how many days to answer this question? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> I know it's a big one. It's a big one. <laughs> no, let me, uh, just uh, the, the very, I think, cliff note version of it here. I've been yeah, in business for 40, oh, oh goodness, 45 years. I uh, would uh, just put a label on it. And one of the things that I noticed relatively early was that <clears throat> when people would come to work, um, they seemed to be different than how they were when they weren't at work. And what I mean by that is mm-hmm. that they would, I mean, just metaphorically, as an example here, they'd come in uh, to work, punch the time card, hang their hat up, and wait to be told what to do. Mm-hmm. And then at the end of the day, they would punch out, pick their hat up, and go out, and then do whatever they felt like they were supposed to, you know, that they were going to be doing. They, they lived their life. And it was like, what, why is that? You know, why are people you know, waiting to be told what to do? What, what's going on here? And what I began to experience over and over again was that, for the most part, most organizations tended to be toxic to the human spirit. They tended oh. to quash the life out of people's mm-hmm. engagement and involvement. And you know, contemporarily, if you look at you know, Gallup, uh, who's been doing this polling for you know, two decades now on employee mm-hmm. engagement, um, you know, roughly 84% of the population is disengaged on an active basis or a, or a passive basis from their work process. And that number hasn't changed in almost two decades. You're kidding. Um, no, it's it's just amazing. And what's also interesting is, you know, in America in particular, we spend $43 billion, I think that's $43 billion, annually mm-hmm. in leadership development with the intent of improving people's participation and engagement. And we're not moving the needle. So something very fundamental is off. So mm-hmm. that was one piece. It, you know, business as it was organized didn't seem to be working. And then the second piece was uh, leadership, in my experience, seemed to be focusing on the, they were focusing on things that were low-hanging fruit, and they were not really focusing on things that caused sustainable success over time. Uh-huh. And that had to do with a number of different things that I ended up you know, doing some research on, and we ended up doing, you know, we've actually developed a number of programs around. But all of that together you know, is where I got the idea of writing the book, Compassionate Capitalism, A uh-huh. Journey to the Soul uh-huh. of Business. Uh-huh. And I chose the, the title Compassionate Capitalism very deliberately because it's on, you know, it literally is an oxymoron for most people. Uh-huh. Compassion and capitalism don't seem to fit together. And they do. They really do. Yeah. Business is the most pervasive force on the planet. There is nothing on this planet that escapes the touch of business's activities. And as a consequence of that, Business, I think, has a moral obligation to take care of the whole. Yes. To take care of the whole, not just their stakeholders or their shareholders. But as a business owner and a business um, leader, the choices I make have ripples. They have effect outside of just my siloed area of, you know, whether it's geographic or industry sectors. Yeah, it has impact out there, you know. When we're mm-hmm. uh, throwing things away, where is a way? You know, a way is <laughs> a way is someplace, and you know, there's a consequence to disposability. I mean, I, again, I could get on a soapbox around this, so I'm, I'm going to no, uh, back that's up okay. But you know, one of the thoughts I had, you know, too, is that when we look at the culture of leadership and organizational behavior, I mean, when you look back years past, it was this whole notion that people wanted to be told what to do. 
um, that many people were not innovative or creative because it was squelched because in order to keep the job, you did what you were told. Um, mm-hmm. And so what, what I'm concerned about, if there's still individuals out there who are still in that posture of wanting to be told what to do. And then the creativity um, that I feel is going to come with the millennials and how they're going to lead. It's going to be a whole different world. And I want to maybe we'll talk a little bit about that. But um, people, to me, are people developers. It's people that run organizations, not organizations mm-hmm. that run people. And I used to tell that all the time to my to my students when I was teaching leadership development. You and I talked a little yeah. bit about that and change yeah, management. And, yeah. Yeah, uh, go ahead. Mm-hmm. I'm concurring here. Uh, you know, all, all any organization is is a collection of people that are in relationship. That's all any organization at the end of the day comes down to. It's people that are in relationship, mm-hmm. and they're obviously in relationship with each other. But they're also in relationship with values. They're in relationship with work processes. They're in relationship with their chairs. They're in relationship with parking. Uh, Mm -hmm. Everything Mm -hmm. has a relational aspect to it. And to the degree all of these types of relationships work well, the organization's probably going to be pretty successful. Leaders, in the way that they are typically taught, don't pay attention to the qualitative nature of relationships. They certainly, in most cases, don't go beyond the interpersonal relationships and start looking at the relationship that people have with process, the relationship they have with work structures. I mean, we don't look at the relationship dynamic there. And well, I, I have a leaders quick question. that do do that mm-hmm. are successful. I have a quick question because in some of these large organizations uh, with leaders at the top, they rely a lot on human resource management or human resource development to to bring in the people. And then what do they do from that point? Because is where is it that it actually begins that you want to bring in the right kind of people and be able to help them? So does it reside with human resources? And we should be training more yeah, we, human resource yeah, managers? I, this is a, I think this is a consciousness question in part, but you know, typically in larger organizations, human resources is the gateway into the organization. But what right. I found, and this goes back to kind of the beginning of the question here, um, organizations, by and large, will hire people for what they can do, mm-hmm. and then they will fire them for who they are. Wow. And, Say and, that again. <laughs> we will Say. hire people for what we think they can do, but mm-hmm. then we end up firing them for who they are. They aren't a good fit. Uh, and, we, and we've got that backwards. We need to hire people for who they are, what they bring to the table, what they bring as a, as a person. Mm-hmm. And then leverage that. And we can, for the most part, train just about anybody to do jobs. Now, I'm not saying that you know, people doing things isn't important. It certainly is. You, know, you have to have competency. You have to have skills. You have to have education in order to perform. Um, but it's who you are that makes the difference. That's I can true. have somebody that has got exactly the same CV or uh, resume. Mm-hmm. You know, on paper, they look exactly the same, but who they are is fundamentally different. One of them will fit extraordinarily well on my organization and one of them won't. I want to be able to figure out who's going to be the fit. How do you figure that out, Blaine? Conversation, uh, conversation. Okay. Yeah, relationships live in conversation. Okay. And yeah, it, it's, a, it's an art more than a science. Mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah. We do some work with you know the, the, the whole hiring process, um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's a right fit sort of a, a notion. But you know, you have conversations with people. You have conversations about what's important to them. You know, if mm-hmm. if, if mm-hmm. you do this job, what does that make possible for you? What's your dream, and how does being in this role help you achieve your dream in life? I mean, those sorts of questions aren't typically asked. No, they're not. In many interview processes. But, and that gives a great insight into who the, peop- who, who the person is mm-hmm, and what their values mm-hmm, are mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. Well, one of the things that I think uh, as we start to look at with men, uh, millennials, uh, these questions are going to be pertinent particularly to them and the Gen Zers because they're looking at the contributions that they can make to that company. Uh, their value system is, I find, in dealing with a few of them, and have you found that their value systems are different in terms of what they're looking for in organizations? Yes. Interesting statistic. Uh, and this is specific to the millennial uh, uh, cohort. 
millennial generation, on average, they will spend about three years in a job before they move someplace else, unless the job is meaningfully fulfilling. And, I, uh-huh. and they will move to take a lower paying, you know, lower paying job if the new work that they're moving toward is more meaningful to them. They, they have a greater sense of contribution. What uh-huh. I'm doing makes a difference. You know, those sorts of questions are, are relevant to that generation. You know, interestingly, I mean, I grew up in the 60s and 70s, and uh-huh. you know, that, that was something that was important to me, too, making a contribution, making a difference. The organizational structure didn't really support conversations around that at the time. So, you know, I and many of my uh, peers looked for ways to fit in, but that never that that spark has never died in me. And that's wonderful that it hasn't. I guess when I came along, it was about just getting a job. <laughs> yes, you know exactly. But I can say two things. It was like get a job with the state, federal, or the government, because if private corporations, you you know, they can fire you. But get a job that's going to be stable and secure. That was the philosophy yeah. when I was coming along, in the 50s and 60s. The illusion, the, the illusion <laughs> of security. Absolutely. But one of the things you've talked about, uh, and I want to e- explore this so that companies out there and businesses can understand what does it mean, business having a soul. Because you talk about that uh, a lot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love uh, it. Everything, everything has a soul. And I mean, and this comes from Aristotelian I mean, Aristotle. Um, you know, the soul is that which enlivens anything that, that brings it into being. Mm-hmm. Um, so there is. You know, I don't mean soul in a religious sense at all. I mean it no. in the sense of you know, this, this that's it. the soul is what brings us into form. You know, whether it's a rock, the rock has a soul, believe it or not, from my perspective, just as a human being does. A corporation does, a company does, a business does. Mm-hmm. And that soul is most evidenced when the company is founded. I mean, I do a fair amount of work with startups, and uh, you know, the, the energy in these startups is just fascinating because it's, it's just alive. The mission the mission to you know, is is so visceral with these organizations, and they're in the process of developing a business platform to deliver on that mission, to have the soul actually take form out there in the you know, as a, as a product or a service. At some point, if they're successful with their business structure, they get to the point where. They are a mission with the business as a delivery mechanism, and then they start getting successful, and then there's an inflection point where the business success begins to uh, become more and more visible and more and more relevant. Uh, And at some point, the organization moves from being a mission with a business to becoming a business with a mission as an afterthought. And the longer that is unattended, the longer that mission becomes a smaller and smaller and smaller portion of what Uh the business's activity is about. And they lose connection to their soul. They lose connection to what brought life to the product or the service, what brought life to the entity itself. And this is why we end up with employee engagement scores you know, that are, or disengagement scores that are in the, in the mid to high 80s, chronically, uh-huh. Uh-huh. because people aren't connected to a source of life. And how, you know, it's really an enigma to me, because what do you see happening uh, today? I know you spent a lot of time in China, uh, and and you're doing a lot of global work. Where do you see that some of the other countries are progressing a little bit more than we are in the United States when it comes to a business having a soul and compassionate capitalism, as you call it? Yeah, uh, I am actually there's a there's a number of companies here in the uh, U.S. and in Europe that are what I would consider to be compassionately capitalist uh, organizations. Unilever, I'll, I'll just cite a very large organization. Paul Polson just re- uh, retired as their, their chairman. Um, they are actually a, a, a compassionately capitalistic organization. They care about impact, and I say impact not in the sense of just the P&L, uh, or their carbon footprint, but they really look at um, a much broader universe, and they recognize, and this is I attribute directly to Paul, um, was, you know, what's the impact of how we source uh, raw materials for our products, and, and are, we ta- are we paying attention to the cost of that? Both uh-huh. from a material standpoint, but also from a social and environmental and spiritual standpoint. 
Mm-hmm. So that's going on. Um, there's also an organization that it came into being about three years ago. Uh, I'm on the board of directors of the World Business Academy. Mm-hmm. And um, the CEO of the Academy, a very good friend of mine, Ronaldo Brutico, uh, came up with an idea, uh, with, with actually with Deepak uh, Chopra, uh, about changing the metrics about how businesses are, you know, how business success is judged, uh, rather than the Fortune 100 or the Fortune 500. They mm-hmm. started looking at what would be a just company. You know, what would be the metrics that we would use to assess how just a company is? Not just their P&L, but what's the social impact? What's the environmental impact? What's the uh, population impact? What, I mean, it's just right on down the line. Wow. And they came up and they spent about three years developing algorithms and metrics that would begin to assess companies that are paying attention to much, much, much more than just the activity of business. They're looking at consequence. And they just published this year in uh, Forbes magazine mm-hmm. uh, the first list of uh, the just 100. And, uh, wow. So they found 100 companies some, that they would say were just companies. Yeah, that they were just companies. I love it. And it's getting some traction. I mean, there was, you know, it's, it's beginning to get very visible in, in regard. So there's, there's that going on. I, I see it up in, in Scandinavia. Um, there's there's companies around the world, and a lot of them are mid-sized and smaller that are you know, paying attention to these sorts of things. So well, I, I have hope. I have hope. Um, I'm so glad you have so, hope because, you know, sometimes we'll look at things and people say, oh, I don't know what's going to happen. You know, my mother used to say the world's going to hell and the hell handbasket. You know, you heard those kinds of expressions, but I, I'm yep. glad we have hope. And, and you have had such a remarkable journey and you still get your finger on the pulse of things. And that's what's so important, Blaine, um, that how to ensure that the workplace of today and tomorrow is going to help individuals and society and this planet have that opportunity to thrive. And I want to thank you for that. We're going to take a break. We're going to be right back in a few minutes, and we're going to talk some more about how we are going to work together in helping to impact more individuals and businesses to have sustainable success. I love it. (laughs) Thank you for listening. We'll be right back. We're on Facebook, along with some of the greatest minds of the world, and that includes you. Visit us on Facebook at Voice America Empowerment. How are you doing in your life? Do you control your life, or does it control you? In our hectic, overconnected world, do you spend too much time feeling tired and wired? Tune in to Master Your Life with hosts Leah Mattinson and Dr. Howard Rankin for inspiration, insight, and intelligence on how to gain control of yourself and your life. Along with some inspirational and knowledgeable guests, Leah and Howard will give you the tools needed to help you on your journey. Tune in every Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Success starts here. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. It's your world. This is Transformation for Success. To reach Dr. Barbara Young or today's guest, please call into the program at 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to info at transformationforsuccess.com. Now, back to this week's program. Hello there. Hello, hello, hello. And welcome back to my interview today with Mr. Blaine Bartlett. I'm so excited to have him on the show today. So, Blaine, uh, when we went on break, we were talking about businesses having souls, having a soul, I should say. And I love it that there, we now have companies, as you call them, just 100 companies that are interested in the social impact and the consequences of their doing business from all levels. And to me, uh, I, I'm excited to hear this because I didn't know that we're moving you know, in this direction, which we should be moving in this direction. And I just want you to share uh, a little bit personally on some of the concepts that you've talked about, because when we talked about compassionate capitalism, I want to make sure everybody understands what that means um, out there, compassionate 
capitalism. Would you explain that, please, just to make sure everybody knows what we're talking about? <laughs> I will, yeah. Uh, the very simple way of thinking of compassion uh, is connection. Um, mm-hmm. When I feel connected to something, I actually care for it. I care about it. And <clears throat> when you know, capitalism was first formulated by Adam Smith in 1776 when he wrote The Wealth of Nations. Now, he didn't call it capitalism, but that's what it came to be known as. Uh, he talked about something that he called the invisible hand of commerce, the invisible hand. And about 16 years before he wrote The Wealth of Nations, he wrote another book that was called The, uh, Theory, of the Theory of Moral Imperative. And oh, that yes. became the... Mm-hmm. I'm sorry? Yes, because I I heard of that book, Mm -hmm. The Theory of the Moral Imperative. Right. And that was the philosophical basis for what came to be known as the invisible hands. And it was written in part by Adam Smith as a counterpoint to um, Rene Descartes, Blaise Pascal, some of the uh, the philosophers of that era Mm -hmm. that uh, were speaking about a duality, about, you know, as I think, I think, therefore I am, I am separate from the rest of the world. And that was really a, a major demarcation point uh, in terms of our experience of living on the planet. You know, we are separate from the rest. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Adam Smith said, no, we really aren't. That's what the invisible hands are about. Um, so fast forward, you know, capitalism you know, did its thing and that became the most successful economic model the world has ever seen. It's, you know, the, the benefits of capitalism are, you know, without uh, question. Um, responsible for the quality of life on this planet in a positive way. It's also mm-hmm. responsible for some of the negative stuff that we have going on, a major portion of it right now. Um, mm-hmm. There are consequences. You know, there's a yin mm-hmm. and a yang to everything. So compassion, this is kind of a long answer to this, compassion is a way to get back to the roots of what capitalism is intended to produce. It's intended to produce wealth, but it's intended to do it not at the cost of others out there in the uh, playing arena, uh, the field of play, so to speak. The idea behind capitalism, as it was uh, written about in The Wealth of Nations, was mutual benefit. I trade with you, I benefit, and you trade with me, and you benefit. And there's a mutual benefit. Uh, It morphed into uh, self-interest. Yeah, and self-interest is where we've gotten ourselves in trouble. So, compassion to capitalism is a way back. Yeah, very good friends of mine, Raj Sisodia and John Mackey, wrote a book Mm -hmm. called Conscious Capitalism. And Mm -hmm. Conscious Capitalism, uh, international bestseller. Um, Yeah, John Mackey was the founder of Whole Foods. Uh, uh, Raj is a uh, professor of uh, business at uh, Babson University. Um, but it's an incredible book. It's, it's a milestone. I mean, it really is. It's a seminal Conscious book. capitalism. Com- Conscious, Conscious capitalism. capitalism. <clears throat> and I was talking to Raj uh, oh, a couple months ago, and I said, you know, Raj, here, here's my take on it. Conscious capitalism is, a, is, is an invitation to become aware of how we are conducting business, and that awareness creates different choices. I think compassion is the behavioral analog to awareness, you know, to consciousness. Yeah, compassion is how I behave if I'm conscious of connection. I can't not take care of, I can't not attend to. And I don't mean take care of in the sense of I become responsible for your happiness. No, it just means I take your well-being into account as I do what I do in my life. Absolutely, absolutely. When I, uh, yeah, and when I start... I, and I understand from, that. And if you don't have compassion, gosh, you know, understandably then you won't be able to be a benefit to anybody and or, or yourself. <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, if you're not compassionate to others, you see them as separate from yourself. And in, in how I see the world is a reflection of my inner conversation. So if compassion is missing in my life, I will guarantee you it's missing in my, in my conversation about myself. Mm-hmm. I'm, not com- I'm not being compassionate with myself, to myself, and for myself. So... It starts in, there's, you know, everything that's manifested in the world is a, is a consequence of consciousness. Well, you know, I, you know, inside out. I believe, Blaine, truly in my heart that a lot of people, and maybe some of the old guard in terms of business, didn't think about blending business with compassion. It was blending business with a goal of me, my son, John, and my wife, Mary, and his wife, Sue. 
uh, it wasn't extended beyond exactly. self-interest, um, yeah, self-gain. No matter what the workers out there who might have been cutting rubber leaves or who've been, you know, pulling, you know, vegetables or doing things that laborers uh, do to make that business sustainable, but it wasn't looking at the well-being of the workers who were helping that business to grow and thrive. That's how I'm I'm viewing it. So That's spot on. <laughs> and so until there's that realization of blending compassion with business and moreover attaining sustainable success for everyone. And maybe the, I'm being idealist when I say that, but I, I'm coming to also from a spiritual perspective that I think it can be done. And I, I well, idealism to, isn't to be underestimated. Huh? Idealism is not to be underestimated. <laughs> no. Without idealism, there's never any progress. That's true. But, you know, Blaine, during the, the two decades that you've consulted worldwide with executives and companies and governments, I mean, you've, you've delivered a lot of training programs to millions of people. What wisdom have you personally acquired since you started coaching that would have been extremely valuable to know before you got into the business? I know that's probably an interesting question. (laughs) You can answer probably in two points. (laughs) (laughs) So, like, I wish I had known that then. Um, I I I think what I would my way of answering that is that I would take my current experience. I I wish I had been talking about this twenty years ago. Okay. I really do, Um, and. Uh, it's not that I wasn't aware of it in one sense, but I didn't think that people, businesses, my clients would be receptive to it. Mm-hmm. And so I just kind of went along to, you know, to, to get along. Yeah. So it was quite successful. I mean, we, we did some beautiful things and mm-hmm. I'm, yeah, where I'm at today is, yeah, impact. I mean, I, you know, I say impact in the sense of there's a way of viewing the world that is so much more successful, so much more fulfilling, so much more enriching than the uh, co- you know the competitive model that uh, most of us have grown up with, and mm-hmm. uh, and it doesn't mean that I don't get ahead. It mean, you know, very definitely people get ahead, uh, mm-hmm. but at, you know, I take into account what's the what's the cost benefit. <clears throat> yeah, mm-hmm. I've, I've seen a migration from pure competition to more and more cooperation. You know, it was kind of, you know, we need to cooperate more effectively. So there's a migration going on. I think the next phase, you know, competition and cooperation are both fundamentally based on on the notion of duality. You know, there's me over here, and I will either compete or cooperate with you over there. Mm -hmm. So there's a separation by definition in those two behaviors. I think what we're moving is something called co-creation. And co-creation is essentially an, inog- an acknowledgement that we are in this together. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, the po- point of fact is everything that we, you know, our culture is co-created. No one person created our culture today. No one person did anything today. Everything is co-created. Co-created. We have mm-hmm. not made that a major focal point. We have not made that something that we actually attend to. How do we co-create success in an organization? That leads to sustainability. When I am actually co-creating, I've got people engaged. By definition, yes, you do. Yes, you do. Engaged. And the way that I define leadership anymore is it's the activity of co-creating coordinated mm-hmm. movement in the system that produces the actions I need to get the results I want. So co-creating coordinated movement, two very different things. Co-creation is consciousness, coordinated movement. There's a skill set involved with it that I actually address in my leadership programs. But those two work hand in hand. It's like, you know, um, a, glove and a, a glove and a hand. You know, they're, they're, they're meant to be together. I love that concept. Um, and I'm, I'm wondering, now, have you had success with people embracing this concept in your leadership training classes or with some Absolutely. of the leaders? Because they're Absolutely. finding the benefit 
of of activities of co-creating a coordinated movement for sustainable success because this is what happens when you have sustainable success. Now, how do is there any evaluation mechanism in that involved so that you can sort of look to see if you have in fact achieved your goal, uh, sustained success? Is there an evaluation mechanism? Sustainable success by definition is going to be a, on a continuum of time. So the assessment you know, kind of takes place on an ongoing basis. Um, I'm going to use Starbucks as an example. Uh, Starbucks does, I think, quarterly, and they've been doing it quarterly for, for years. Um, they, they survey people on engagement, and they uh-huh. call their, their, their employees, they're all partners. Uh-huh. Um, they are doing... A, a pretty decent job of the activity of co-creating. Um, they haven't gotten up there totally. Com- yeah, I, mean, I don't know anybody that has gotten completely there because we are egoistic and egoic beings working with other egoistic and right. egoic beings. Um, but they are their, their heart's in the right place. Okay. And they're not the only one. I, I think Costco does some of this stuff. Uh, I, mean, I mean, I'm, talking, I'm using... You know, American examples of this. Oh, yes, you are. Yes. You know, kind of where okay. we're at right now. But, uh, but it's also true in other, other countries. You know, there are organizations. So the metric is, in part, a function of employee engagement. How much engagement is demonstrated? And, yeah, and, we, and there's ways to track that. Gallup has you know, basically built the, built the model for that. So you can actually track employee engagement as a consequence of attending to some very specific things. Co-creation is one of them. How do people feel connected to mm-hmm. what it is that we're doing? You know, those sorts of things come into play. And then the coordinated movement area, I've got, you know, I've got a model that has five discrete elements to that. Um, that uh, when I'm actually coaching leaders, um, these are the five areas that we actually uh, focus on. Uh, yeah, is because it really does come down to rubber meeting the road. How do you actually work this? Okay. Well, you know what, Blaine? I am going to have to have you back on the show because we've got a lot more to talk about, I tell you, and we're running out of time. I can't believe it because this has been such an interesting conversation. And today I learned quite a bit. I was taking notes and a new perspective as we talk about compassionate organizations. And I'm going to remember a lot of this and share for a very long time. And I can't tell you how much I've appreciated the time you have spent discussing these salient points. So thank you for sharing. Thank you for caring. And I'm smiling because you truly are first class facilitator, speaker and coach. And most importantly, my good friend. Thank you so much. Today, I've been talking with Blaine Bartlett. And so don't forget to tune in the show. And guess what? I'm going to see him again. We're going to have him on another show, part two. And thank you for listening today and tuning in to the Transformation for Success show with Dr. Barbara Young. Signing off, be blessed, have a great week. We appreciate you joining us for Transformation for Success. Please join your host, Dr. Barbara Young, again next Tuesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time. That's 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Or join us for our replay every Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time and 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have an outstanding week.